Narazioná unko kelin keisoja, tenioroch loisos to henzo keiso kelinot, až leusoin non keisin šo. Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me is my lovely co-host, Bianca Richards. <laughs> uh, you did better yesterday. Um, hello. And the inimical William Annis. Hi. I'm running out of adjectives. To yeah, I'm not sure that's the one. I'm hoping that... I'm, well, whatever. Maybe you meant that. What? What is inimical... I, I can't remember. I hope you're aiming at inimitable. Inimitable. Which means inimitable. not to be not capable of being oh. I did that. I was hoping you was going for like amicable. Or sure. That's probably not entirely true, but <laughs> I used I used that. I used uh inimitable before. Oh, by the way, I have posted uh a grammar of Iorio online. Ooh, it's, finally. You know, still not complete. I have one section that I have no examples for and stuff, but... No language is ever complete. Stop giving excuses. Just get it out there. Yeah, yeah. well... <laughs> I'm applying Someone's been for, using the tech. I'm applying for um, linguistics programs, and I thought I might want to put that online when I'm doing that. So... In case somebody Googles me and wants to look at it, or I might even send it off. I wouldn't. <laughs> some people in the linguistics world are not as happy, friendly to conlanging as you may think. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with Bianca well, on this. Yeah, some people, yeah, that is a, a so, fact. That's why I'm not sure whether I want to highlight it or not, but... I wouldn't... But that's just me. Anyway. <laughs> okay. It's a shame because you do so much work and you know it's a good source of linguistic knowledge and reference. But I could mean- swear that I've heard people have positive experiences with that. Like, I think the, the creator of Scare said that um, he actually was working with his professors with his conlang, but that may have been an undergraduate, anyway. Right. Well, yeah, we hear the these thing. things, but it's just, it's just in our dreams. Only our dreams. Well, here's the thing. Of all the professors I've ever had in linguistics, mm-hmm. only one of them was interested in conlangs. And the other, I don't know, ten or so, didn't really care. So if you want to take the one in ten chance... Well, it's probably not one in ten, because I can guarantee you a small number will be hostile. Yeah. Well, I don't know, but um, I'm. This is getting a little awkward. Why don't we just move <laughs> into our topic? <laughs> Maybe you should cut this part out. This is this is bad radio. Anyway, um, so our topic today is numerals, and uh, so we we're saying numerals, and we're somebody, one of us might slip at one point, but. We're trying to say numerals rather than numbers or number systems because of the fact that we do on the show refer to grammatical number. 
So we're we're trying to make sure we keep those those concepts separate. So you know, in case anybody's listening who is not very linguistically inclined and doesn't understand why we're saying numerals all the time, that's why. But uh, I think most people who are listening will understand. But anyway, why don't we get into how numerals work? First thing when you're setting up a numeral system, I think, in a language, is you have to decide what base it is before you even start making up words because you have to know what... Are you guys there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're just not number people, okay? We're not fighting to get into this just yet, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, so the, the first thing you need to do is you have to decide what your base is. So I have, uh, and I'll put these in the show notes, Walls has a bunch of, of different articles on numerals, which I guess it could be that it's just a, a, a really easy thing to elicit to say, uh, how do you say 1 to 10, and how do you say all this stuff. But um, basically, they mention that um, the vast majority of human languages use a decimal system. That's base 10 system. But there's a significant minorities that use a vigesimal that's base 20, and then some that use hybrid vigesimal and decimal systems. We mentioned the, some of those in... In the uh, last podcast, we were talking about Basque and Danish having some odd vigesimal stuff. Right. And um, one thing is, I didn't believe that this was actually, like, um, I, I thought that this was sort of like a wild theory about it when I first heard about it. But since this then, I have read about other phenomena that support it, but that the preponderance of decimal system is actually, and vigesimal systems, is actually because we have ten fingers and ten toes. Why would you disagree with that? Well, it yeah. seemed, it just seemed a little too easy at first, but then I learned that there are so many languages that have the, the root for five derived from the word for hand, mm-hmm. stuff like that, and I'm like, Oh, okay. So it's actually it might have something to do with our hands. Yes. <laughs> I, wow. That you you just broke up terribly on that. Sorry. <laughs> but no. The, the the reason I was skeptical was that it, whenever I run into something that's that's that simple of an explanation, it sounds it sounds odd to me. But then now I, I realize that it it actually makes sense. Right, and we have a very very small number of languages that are base eight. Yeah, because apparently um, they're counting the spaces between their fingers. Yes. See, that's the one I've always been suspicious of, because it's kind of weird. But I guess if it works for them... It is kind of weird and surprising. Um, William, you are massively breaking up and roboting. Okay, sorry. Can you... Maybe... It's probably just Skype, but anyway. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I thought it was so... Um, unbelievable, but anyway... In any case, if you're inventing a language for humans, think about fingers and toes. Yeah. And and hands. Yeah, you are more than likely 
a decimal system is fine. If you don't, if you don't care what about making anything unique about your numeral system, just use a decimal system. And, and that doesn't, and that doesn't mean if you want a crazy fun, well, maybe not crazy fun, crazy crazy number system that you have to use a different base because there's plenty of other things you can do within the decimal system yeah, to be annoying. Yeah. If yeah. you're doing it for aliens who have eight fingers, then well, base eight might work. Don't do, don't do the uh, the battlefield Earth thing because the idea of having eleven fingers is just ridiculous anyway. But um, so that's not the only. That's just the first thing you need to figure out is what's my numeral base, which you know you could go with base ten, you could go with base twenty. If you want to go out there, you can you can go with something weird like base five or base eight. Um, uh, is base five really that weird? I, I guess this is a good segue into the issue: is once you decide you're doing base ten, how do you create the digits in between? And it seems awfully common for even if you're using what's basically a base ten system. All right, so I should probably not use the word basically here. Um, um, William, I'm going to hang up on you and call you again because. Okay. Hello. Hello. Much you better. Sound, yeah. Okay. Anyway, right. what as as you were saying. Right. So I I the once you've decided to use base ten, you still have to create all those numbers in between, and we've already mentioned that five is sometimes special, and so your numbers from six to nine may include some digits or all of them. Um, that are transparently somehow related to the word for five. Yeah, you you mentioned a language that does this, uh, a natural language, Alutor. Yeah, lots of natural languages do this, as yeah. it turned out. The, the, but in this example, like six is one five, seven right. two five. So it basically, yeah, it transparently derives six to nine from the word for five, but well, otherwise it's vegesimal. No, it's it's based on. But the the, the well, confusing thing is, it may be the case that not all of your digits between six and nine <laughs> are somehow related to five. You know, nine might be some weird thing, or they decided to borrow seven from the neighbors down the line. So, I mean, there's all sorts of number systems can be very weird and seem to be especially susceptible to um, aerial effects and borrowing and all of that stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, even think of the um, the the Chinese numerals, Japanese, probably Korean as well. But I didn't. I don't. And know. Vietnamese. And Vietnamese. They all just straight up borrowed the entire Chinese numeral system, while preserving remnants of their original system. Right. The the they yeah. You still have the like in Japanese. You have the the counting numbers still, but you you also use straight up the entire Chinese numeral system as an adjunct. That's an un, uh, another interesting thing. Having two different numeral systems in a language that seems like an interesting way that you could add some weirdness without making it too difficult on yourself. Sort of, you use one numeral system in certain situations and one in another one. Yeah, I mean, that you need to explain. Right? There has to be some cultural or political reason for that to be going on. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's recoverable. That's that's a con, con-cultural, con-worlding kind of matter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's for those people who make worlds with multiple languages. 
and want to have interaction between them. It's a it's a good. Well, maybe not. I mean, I can possibly see this coming. Like, if you have gods or some sort of other symbols associated with numbers, you can easily use third names instead for maybe common counting, and then for more mathematical purposes, you stick with the actual number. Or, or I just thought of this: if there's taboo avoidance issues where a number is very similar to another word or name of a god or particular taboo word so people invent a new number. Sure. Yeah, you can do all sorts of things. There's also the, um, supposedly there's the numbers are prone to an irregular sound changes where they imitate numbers that are close to them. Right. But that happened to Latin where penque became uh, what Proto-Indo-European Penque gained a a K sound at the front instead of the P, right? Well, it was already there because it was a labiovelar in the test. I I don't remember the whole... The whole Indo-European number system confuses me as it transforms, (laughs) so... (laughs) Um. Yes. One thing, Indo-European number numerals, uh, at least as far as I've seen, are very strange. (laughs) Right. So, So getting back to this issue of five, the... Nahuatl, you know, everyone says it has a vigesimal system, which is true, but you've got one through five with the word for five related with the word for hand. Six through nine are some magical word that means five, followed by one, two, three, four. Ten, matlakli, is hand plus torso. And then from 11 to 14 is, you know, I can't even talk today. You know, those plus the digit. And then there's a special word for 15, which is not, as far as I can tell, related to anything else. And then 16 through 19 are kashtoli plus 1, 2, 3, 4. So you have this kind of base 5 system embedded in uh, a more pervasively vigesimal system. Yeah, that, that can happen. And also, you can also ha- have um, base 10 be- um, embedded into a vigesimal. You can have. Right. You can like have- French. Yeah, or even... But Hask, I think, kind of had some pseudo thing going on. Yeah. Even, um, you can have even, like, something like base 12 and a base 10. Remnants of base 12 and a base 10 system or something like that. Um, Duodecimal. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like that word. Anyway, but um, more than just your numerical base, okay, going and... I think the next step is how do you construct numbers... We're, we'll we'll talk about numbers from ten or whatever your numerical base is to uh, to a hundred to a thousand. Just the, your, your next order of magnitude, whatever. Yeah, it is. yeah. You're just sort of your 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 mid range numbers. There you have several different things you can do. The simplest system that I know of, and I think this is like the simplest way to do it, is. In is the way that Chinese does it, and I talk about Chinese all the time on this show. But this this is very relevant. But uh, so in Chinese, numbers greater than ten, you the the ones digit comes after ten. The word for ten shi, so eleven would be shi yi, ten and one. And then as you get multiples of ten, the number that it's multiplied by comes before it. So 25 is 25, 
that's that's really really a basic way to do it. The thing is that, as you can see in English and in a lot of other languages, a lot of times, at least the, the lower end of the numbers, get some odd sort of historical irregularities put into them. Yeah. Like, um, you know, obviously everybody knows English goes up to 11 and 12 and then starts with the teens, and um, Spanish does something similar where it, that goes all the way with unique roots up to... Um, 15. 15. Yeah, up to 15. So you can always have these sort of odd, uh, screwy things if you want to add a little irregularity into your num- number system. And also, you know, I, I'm sure all, I think all of the um, Indo-European languages tend to have unique roots on the numer- on the, um, on the multiples of 10, don't they? What do you mean by unique roots? Well, they're not transparently derivable, but there's usually an obvious pattern there of relationship. Yeah, I I, I mean, it's just sound changes have wreaked their effect. I mean, part of the issue here is how long have you had numbers above 10 or 15 or whatever? The longer culture has these, the longer time historical linguistics has a chance to rub off relationships, right? 20, 30, 40, 50, those are all obviously related to the... That's um, a likelihood. That's not a destiny, though, because I'm pretty sure Chinese had really high numbers a long time ago. So, well, right, because they're a bureaucratic culture. Yeah, um, but um, you're right. Um, something, and that's something else. Sort of a side issue. Um, dependent on your con culture, there are human languages that have no numerals, no quantifiers at all. Or at no numerals, right? I should say no numerals at all. You, uh, the the famous example that everybody brings up is Piraha. Yeah, um, there may be others. I'm not sure anyone or or the the count is so. It's you know, very small. There's yeah, a very, very small few, system. Um, there's there's very few languages that have that don't have at least sort of like. The, the lower end numbers, the the lower and mid end numbers. But there's a few that are have no none, and there's a very few that have like one and two. And but I think most of the people conlanging won't really be interested in a system like that. Probably not, because a lot of people want um, a lot of people want to have more interesting cultures than that uh, that are like fairly widespread, and I don't know if you can have a very widespread culture with with that simple of a number system. Uh, well, that that's a con-worlding question that some other podcasts can deal with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so what, I mean, the issue is, are you going to come up with funky compounds for these mid-numbers, 12, 13, 14? Are you going to have them pretty transparently visible? 10 and one, ten, with one, you know. Different languages take this differently. Um, the Indo-European languages are likely to have oddballs for, for 11s and 12s. That's by no means universal. All of the English teens are just weird. Like, when I was going through German class, it blew my mind when I realized that 13 is really 310, 14 is 410, and it's backwards from all the other numbers, and I was really annoyed with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, doesn't well doesn't German 
count with the, like the 4 and 20 type, yeah. type deal? Which is, there's something about numbers that when it's not your native system, it's a lot harder for yeah. some reason. It throws it throws you off, and this is the 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 next step uh, I was going to mention. This really throws me off in Chinese. Other below ten thousand, the Chinese number system is really easy to learn for anybody. But if you come from a culture that you if you come from a language that uses a thousand system, Chinese uses the myriad system, which is rather than grouping very large numbers by uh, powers of a thousand, it groups them by powers of ten thousand. And, you know, at first you would think, okay, I just move all the commas and then figure it out. But it really, really gets a little difficult to handle right at first once you're, while you're trying to transfer numbers from one system to another. Um, Yeah, for me, any... And, and this is, has to do with learning, you know, a natural language. Telling time and numbers are always, 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 always the thing I have the hardest time with. Oh. Well, that was until, until I met Navajo's verbs. That's true. Ignoring Navajo verbs, getting numbers to flow naturally is it's so much work for me for some reason. You know what annoys me the most here is there's one phrase they have here about telling time which I haven't heard in America, which is if you say half five, what would you think that meant? Oh, I know what it means, so I'll let... Uh, yeah, I, I, I just because once you've asked the question this way, the spirit of perversity tells me it means 4.30. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's 5.30. Half always, five is 5.30? That's right, yes. yeah. It's half five is 5.30. Because oh, I always right. wanted to mean half to five uh-huh. rather than half after five. yeah. Yeah, and it drives me nuts. Like I've gotten used to it. I know what they mean, but I'm just like, just say five thirty. <laughs> it, it was a it was a funny thing when I went to Northern Ireland and I encountered half five. But yeah, um, that that's that's sort of just a separate thing. But you know how people use numbers in other contexts because they end up getting kind of thrown out. And one thing I didn't have any notes on is how do languages show fractional numbers and, um, well, fractional numbers and... Um, what, what like it? decimals? Yeah, decimals. Fractional, yeah. Fractions no. and decimals, which, no. you know, decimals, I think, are usually straightforward, but that may be just because they were later and everybody borrowed from the same system or something. Right, right. For fractions, half is likely to be a special word. Mm-hmm. That's, a third is sometimes a special word, and a yeah. quarter is sometimes and, and you right, and this is in decreasing order of likelihood, and and then a quarter is sometimes a special word. After that, all bets are off. Yeah, and, yeah. And you need to go do research. And um, you know, in in English, we use you, you the um, the the denominator port point part is um, oh it's it's an ordinal right, and um, but. There's other languages that will do different things. I think I think that Chinese just says uh, the the one number over the other number. That could be. Uh, I don't I know. It's remember. been so long since I've dealt with Chinese in general and Chinese numbers and especially. So, but anyway, I don't know that part. I don't uh-huh. know much about. So, sorry. Um, Can I go back to the half five thing? Sure. Yeah. So in Swedish, it's four thirty. Mm-hmm. Which is 
Which is what I thought, but I had to look it up before I started saying lies. Yeah. Which is <laughs> extra annoying to me now that I realized it. Um, I just, I just, rem- just thought about um, thinking about ordinal numbers, since I mentioned them tangentially there. They're, um, you can be all over the map, it looks like. Walls has just a lot of different uh, ways, that, a lot of different um, categories here for how languages do ordinal numbers. It seems like it varies. We should say, for people who are not used to this terminology, by ordinals we mean first, second, third, fourth, that sort of yes, stuff. Yes, yeah. So your basic numbers, one, two, three, four, five, those are cardinal numbers. And then the numbers that you would... Well, I don't even know, like when you say uh, the fifth of a set, you know, those would be ordinal numbers. Um, so there's some languages where they don't exist, some where they're just, um, they're indistinguishable from cardinals. I don't understand how those two are different, but... Um, <laughs> Context. Yeah, um, and um, it seems like you're more likely to have a separate ordinal uh, word for a lower number. Like in in English, we have first and second, and then third, fourth, fifth. Those are obviously derived from the cardinal numbers. Except for first and second. Yeah. Right. First Um, first and second are separate roots. And then there's there's some that it's distinguished only by syntax, where your cardinal is, you know... The five dogs, and the ordinal would be dog the five. Yeah, that's exactly right. what I did. Well, I no. remember. I think that's- yeah, I remember, and I'm sorry for re- referring to Chinese and Spanish so much, but I know I remember in Spanish that there are technically ordinal ordinal numbers for everything, but nobody really uses the separate ordinal form above like thirteen. So it's kind of. It, again, it's how how big it is. Depend it depends on how big the number is. Whether they're going to use the ordinal, um, the use separate ordinal numbers, forms, or special roots. Bianca, you were going to say how you did your ordinals. Oh, I was going to say I separated the ordinals from the cardinals just by relative position. Yeah. The yeah, cardinals yeah. came before the ordinals came after. That's wasn't that, that exciting? Like an interesting way to to um, well, distinguish them. That's because adjectives came after, so it just felt right. Okay, for whatever sure. Reason. And, and then this, I mean, what she did occurs in natural languages. So yeah, yeah, you can. It's, it's fine. Yeah, I'm fairly you, certain everything I've done is anadu. Anadu, yeah. Well, that's the whole. <laughs> Although, I mean, so we're bringing up this question: is it's. When once you've got your numbers, whether they're ordinals or cardinals, is there's often if if you have um, a noun phrase structure that's pretty strict, right? Your your determiner has to go one place, your noun has to go one place, your adjective has to go one place. It is very likely that your number will have a very fixed position, and it may not be the same as you would expect, you know, from like English or something. It may move around in funny ways. Yeah, uh, it's worth looking at, at natural languages to see the possibilities there. The yeah. second thing is using a number with a noun, saying five dogs. In English and most Indo-European languages, using a number two or above triggers the use of a plural 
number noun, right? We say five dogs. This is not the case in all languages. In some languages, once you've used a number, they're like, well, we don't need this stupid plural marking. Oh, that's funny. Right, so they don't. I think, uh, I don't think I'm lying when I say Hungarian works that way. That's that's an interesting, um, that's that's very interesting um, when you think about it. I, I know that, you know, a lang- I know that Chinese having very limited uh, plural marking in the first place, they sometimes will, um, when it's pragmatically necessary to indicate that it's one of something, they will put the numeral one in there. So it's sort of... Oh, sure. They may do that more often than we do, to be clear. Yeah. The sometimes huh. sometimes they, they, they do that. Um, another thing is... George, for people who don't know Chinese, it's not that Chinese has weak number marking. Unless you're a pronoun, it has none. <laughs> right. Well, I said it has very limited. People keep saying that it has none. And it doesn't have none. It just has. It only has it. Uh, it obligatorily on pronouns and optionally on human nouns. So, there. Let's go. Um, that's that's grammatical number I'm talking about. Plural marking. But um, anyway, wow. I'm suddenly much loud louder. Um, why am I doing that? Okay. Anyway, so where was I going? You made me lose my train of thought, William. Hello? You can't hear me? I can now. Can William hear me? Hello? Hello? Uh, What the hell happened? I don't know. (laughs) So what was the last thing you heard me say? Uh, the, you, you, you heard me, I heard you say that, um, Mandarin has no plural marking except for on pronouns, and then I went on to clarify that. Okay, clarify way. Well, I I, I already did. I said it. We didn't has, hear it. We it only has it. obligatory. <laughs> okay, it only has obligatory plural marking on pronouns and optional on human nouns. So yes, most of the time it has none. Yeah. Anyway, so. That, yeah. that anyway, should be um, important to, to clear that up for people who might have the idea that there's some sort of weak plural marking around for book or something, but there's not. Yeah, um, I'm trying to... What What was I... I was thinking about something. I was going to say something after that. Skype has messed with us again. Uh, oh. oh, dear. Um, but, okay, well... Let's... Since we're on Chinese, do we want to talk about another not uncommon issue, which is the classifiers, or do we need to... Um, we've kind of covered numeral classifiers before. In, well, I said a bunch about numeral classifiers in the very first episode. Right. Because I was the only one around at that point that knew <laughs> anything about them. But yeah, um, I guess we can say a little bit about them since that was a very long time ago, and I may sure. have not been entirely clear on that. But yes, some languages, uh, Mandarin in particular, but I think some other languages that Sprachbund do as well. And oh, yeah, all over, all the way into like Bengali is an Indo-European language, but it has developed number classifiers just because of who its neighbors are. Yeah. So what we, what we're sa- calling uh, numeral classifiers um, in uh, in if you've taken Chinese, you may have heard them as measure words. Uh, heard them called measure words. Um, they're basically depending on 
the noun. There will be some intervening thing. It's actually, um, people generally make it analogous with the classifiers used with English, um, especially mass nouns, but some other nouns. Like, when, when you say a murder of crows in English, or a cup of water, that's actually literally the same as the, the Chinese e-beishui, so... Or three head of cattle. Or three head of cattle. That's that's an even better one. Yeah, that's where... a much better example. Basically, your nouns fall into some class variously conceived. In Chinese, shape and consistency is very important, but there are dozens of others for counting other kinds of things. Shape, um, consistency... Uh, are, are grouped something. together so that all stick-like objects, when you count them, have to use this classifier. You say three... I forget. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Three, those. What's the one for flat stuff? Jong, right? Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and and uh, the, the languages in the, the, the Eastern, the whole Chinese Sprachbund there, have dozens and dozens of these. Um, they're very common in the languages of North America and Central America. Um, they tend not to be as huge um, in North America as that is to say there's not as many of them um, classical Nahuatl has less than a dozen and most of the time they just use one take which means rock which can be yeah. used to count pretty much anything okay um, and um, I'm going um, to bring back to what I was thinking about I remembered um, we were talking about um, time words and things and that you can think about also the year and even anything that's that number that sort of identifies something you are likely to have a slightly different structure so like in english whenever you have page numbers or years or something like that you often have these things where um you stop you where if you have a something that's over a thousand you might have uh, something like 1492 1999 you 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 put the uh the 1000s of something in there um chinese does a, a totally different thing where they just read out all of the digits by name rather than actually constructing a well formed number or numeral so 1482 would be 1482. Yeah. Right. 1482. Yeah, that's just a pain. I think it Tell me about it. It's even longer in Spanish. Yeah, well, it has to do with um conserve I think it has to do with conserving sort of your syllable count making make it easier to say because in Spanish yeah you always you say the thousand you would say mil cuatrocientos ochenta dos you might also just say mil cuatro ochenta dos but um, because mil is just one syllable it's not that big a deal to you it's just not that big a deal to save that one syllable yeah I just and ugh ugh Numbers. See, numbers. High numbers, numbers are, are always a pain. Because I don't know why. It's just something about it that makes it more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but so there's so many different things. And there's, there's a bunch of stuff that I'm going to include in the show notes that we didn't get to. 
But we really need to move on to talking about our featured conlang. So I think yep. we're going to stop here. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good information. Some people are number fanatic, so it's been pretty easy to find interesting information yeah. online. Also, if you if you really want to, you can go to uh, and maybe I'll link to Janko Gorentz. It's not. It's not a great information resource, but you know you can have a lot of fun just browsing through his his site of numbers one through ten. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I, I, Bianca, you sounded exasperated at that. What? You sounded no. exasperated at that. Well, it is a little exasperating, but you know. <laughs> anyway, let's just move on. Um, I am going to. Uh, okay. Venedic. Our featured conlang today, yes, is Venedic, or however you pronounce it. Um, so this is what William calls a bogo lang, which um, can you explain what that is, real quick? Sure, um, a bogo lang. I think that's it's maybe not the most appealing name, but I think that's standard for describing this process. Basically, you imagine the Roman army going someplace and staying there. And yeah. then in this case, use, it's Poland. In this case, it's Poland. Um, uh, the, probably the first example of this was Wales. Anyway, the Roman army goes there, speaking vulgar Latin, and instead of turning into French, they run vulgar Latin through the sound changes that produced the language that's there now. So, in the case of um, Brythenig, um, which imagines the Romans went to Wales and stayed there, they went from early Proto-Celtic to Welsh. So you have a Romance language that looks like Welsh. Mm. In the case of Venedic, you have the sound changes are run through um, from uh, some early variety of Slavic into Polish. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to... The the creator's name, I think, would be Jan van Steenbergen. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, I don't even try with Dutch anymore. (laughs) Bergen, whatever. Anyway, but uh, and again, we said this is a Polish Bogolang. I always thought that you could use something other than Latin for this, but anyway. Um, And it's very interesting. Obviously, as William said, it's 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 deriving, it's taking Latin and then deriving it based on the sound changes that produced modern Polish. So here we have we have all sorts of interesting sort of Slavicness in this language here. Um, I don't like the way he presents his phonology. Again, this is another guy who another site where I don't have a nice chart here. <coughs> but um, huh? It's funny, you know. Yeah. The, with the chart. Um, um, what I'm trying to find. And can't find. Oh, there it is. The Grand Master Plan. So if you want to do hardcore historical style linguistics, this is the thing you need to look at. Because the Grand Master Plan um, goes through in chunks of about half a millennium mm-hmm. um, the changes from Vulgar Latin to Benedict. Yes. Yes. I see here. Yeah. This is when you're showing off like a historical type thing, this is what you want to see. Like, yeah. you know. So it goes from Latin to early Northeast Romance is the first one, and it just keeps going and tracing the 
the the story of this whole this this uh, branch of this fictional branch of the Romance languages until you get to modern Venedic. So yeah, it's very interesting sort of way to go about it. Um, it's a very 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 detailed. Right, and what this does is this gives him an opportunity in like 500 year chunks to shoehorn into Latin um, a Slavic sound system. Yes. <laughs> and other things that will make one think of Polish like nasalized vowels, um, certain kinds of sounds, affricates and, and fricatives and so forth now, that are characteristic of Polish. I haven't looked at anything. Have you seen anything in here that looks like he borrowed any Slavic words into this? I didn't notice any. I'm a little bit sad. I mean, this is an interesting language, and there's all sorts of stuff here. What there is not is a great deal of examples, because the entire chapter on syntax simply says, nothing here yet, but since Benedict borrows its syntax almost entirely from Polish, (laughs) you might as well check out a Polish syntax. (laughs) Uh, I saw that, too, and I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, there are texts, but you have to go digging into to find them, and and they're not interlinearized, um, so it's no. a little bit hard to see where where some things are coming from. One thing he did, which I think is a great thing to add in these Bogolangs, is he has an onomasticon with basically a lot of um, very common historical names. The uh, the Venedict uh, reflexes, which you would have if you have one of a uh, if you had a Romance language growing up in what is now Poland, you you would you would see these things happen mm-hmm. where they'd have the the old these these common names that would have that come from Latin or through Latin from other sources would be there. <laughs> Sorry, I was just <laughs> noticing in his um, translations, among the many translations, include the translations of some spam he's gotten. <laughs> Is there a Nigerian that, spam, huh? Well, there's Where? that, and there's one that I simply cannot read on, on the air. Um, Where's his translations? All He calls it uh, texts, sample texts. He also has a traveler's phrase, phrase book, which is awesome. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Do you speak Brythenic? <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> meet so, with women who hate to cuddle. Yes. See, I there are a lot. Of, there have been a lot of different languages that have done this with Latin moving into another language. I guess this is that's the ba- definition, basically, according to of uh, Bogolang. But I mean, maybe they, people have done it with other languages, but I've just not seen them. I would love to see it happen with other languages. I mean, like, but what other? How many other languages do we have where we have first a language that's that well documented over time, and second, we can reasonably expect large numbers of the speakers to be roving around to end up someplace surprising. That is a difficult one because. Like, I, I always wanted somebody to do a Chinese one, but Chinese didn't have that, uh, that didn't really have, the, the same thing that happened with, um, with uh, Latin to the Romance languages didn't really happen with Chinese, because it was, well, it was 
a bunch of different languages to begin with, I'm sure. Right, and then, right. And then where Chinese moved into somewhere and changed some, it was often one of the dialects moving into somewhere, like with Taiwan. One of the other Chinese languages moved there, and then later Mandarin moved there. Yeah, I don't know. I think you could maybe get away with it with Greek, ancient Egyptian, um, maybe um, Aramaic or Hebrew, maybe. Uh, uh, You know, this is one respect where I'm happy for reality to not matter at all. If you're going to do something where you're just like, you know what? I want to do Basque, and I want to do it with, you know, Quechua. Oh, do wait. It. Oh, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, you could you could do stuff like that. I'm, I'm sorry, I just had to say this. He has, not only does he have the ring poem, but he has the ring poem with audio. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. This is, you know, the one ring to rule them all, but he has the whole poem from the start of it. So I'm going to... So one thing that I enjoy is his sound changes have reworked the Latin verb system. Um, Typically, when you take Latin, there are you are instructed that there are four. George, you're getting an echo because I'm about to play that audio file. Okay, why don't you do that, and then we can talk about the neat verb classes. Sieć produczór na ninu rękembrasz sasiar. Nów pro ludzi mrotaur jutkatur omroć. Win pro donu cembruzu surtronu oskieru. En pazie mordoru wąc wąbrze się kiepto. Win jande o prokut żeżar łoż tutur. Win jande o prokut łoż jęwnier. Win jande o prokut kolżar łoż tutur. I ocembartać olega. And Paja Mordoru wants Vomje Shekepto. You know what? The echo on that really suited it. Yeah. Well, okay. I have to. What? Did he add that echo? That's that's his own echo. Hold on a second. (laughs) I was wondering if it was us, but it sounded a little too well done to be our. Goofy echo. All right. So, so Bianca, since we're talking about these bogolangs, here's a, a real bogolang, or it's not really a bogolang, but it's it's an interesting mixed language that you will appreciate. A bunch of Roma apparently found themselves in Basque country. I have heard of this. <laughs> right. So you have Eromincella, which is basically Calderash Rom- Romani words, all with Basque grammar. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard of this. Right, just Believe when you think that that, conlang- that that you can't imagine a stranger thing happening with natural languages, then you do. I think at some point I heard of a strange mix of Basque and Icelandic, but I need to Google it to make uh-huh. sure I'm not dreaming it. Apparently, the Basque can be found any place cod could be found, which is also true of the Icelanders. So it seems like that they would have met up and. Yeah, I think it was like some seaport thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which yeah. So back- yeah, back to Venedict. <laughs> Back to Benedict's verbs. So Latin, when you're taught in Latin, typically you're told that there are four verb classes. Mm-hmm. Really, there are five, but we'll just ignore that for now. Benedict, because of the sound changes that the language has gone through, has eight. Right. The sound changes actually created more verb classes? Right. Yes. You have more declensions to worry about, uh, more verb conjugations to worry about because of the different sound changes and environments that have happened. Wow. That's... Mm-hmm. that's- 
pretty epic. Yeah. Are, it's intense. Are, it's uh, a big chart. Are what these apostrophes glottal stops or what? No, they refer to different kinds of sound changes they afflict on previous consonants. Oh, so okay. single tick does one kind of change and double tick does a different kind of change. Okay, never mind then. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So on his chart, he lists the different tenses or whatever. What is PAP and PPP? Past active participle, past passive participle. Ah, all right. Yeah, it, ha- it, is, it has that romance language verb paradigm there. Mm-hmm. Um, very clearly so. Um, and he has full conjugation tables, lots and lots of tables with this language. So he should publish 500 Benedict verbs. Well, this, this, this might need 500 verb, a 500 <laughs> verb book. Um, just if, if, if anybody cares to learn the language, but yeah. yeah. Well, a lot has been done in it, and and have you this- looked at his learn Venedict? I think, he, like in his introduction, he's like, you know, if you really want to learn Venedict, just don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He has. I mean, he's, the guy who invented this is more known for being involved with the Slovyansky, um, neo, whatever the the sort of the sort of zonal oxlang that's the the sort of grand unified Slavic language that has been pops up from time to time. Um, one thing I, I noticed that he has a whole bunch of prepositions which takes particular cases and then one class of prepositions that can take either his direct or his genitive case uh-huh. which changes the meaning it seems like. Sure. And that's yeah, standard for Just Latin. like German yeah. Yeah, or Latin I suppose. I don't know anything about Latin. What is the right, so, so for yeah, in, in Latin the word um, in with the ablative, you know, I get confused. I know this in ancient Greek, so forget Latin, but Latin does the same sort of thing, but I'm going to use ancient Greek because then I won't lie. Um, um, with, what's it, see, but in is weird in Greek. I'm trying to think of a really clear example. I wish I remembered them from German, but I don't, because it's the same type of thing. Right, so the general rule in ancient Greek is, with prepositions of motion, dative indicates location, Accusative indicates motion to, and genitive indicates motion away from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Latin it's the accusative still means motion to, and the ablative has merged the functions of both separation and motion. Not motion, uh, location. Oh, okay. So, but he has, he, he, he has different cases here. Right, and then that's, again, a perfectly... Um, Expected inheritance from Latin. Yeah, he's he's basically just lost a bunch of the the Latin cases, which a lot of the Romance languages have lost all of them, so it's not surprising. Does he have gender? I can't see. I don't yes, yes, yes. Let me see if I can find it. It's just three genders. Yeah, I'm a neuter. Okay. If you take a look at his dictionary, well, vocabulary list, I should say. Where is it? Um, vocabulary. Know. See, I can't find these things in this. I don't know why. I'm just dumb. I don't know. Holy cow, that's a lot of words. Yeah. However, I am disappointed in the, well, whatever. You know, I like dictionaries that are big and chewy and have lots of examples and not single word definitions, but. Well, you know, whatever. that's difficult, so. Oh, uh, look, one can swear. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I found f off by accident. 
Ah, uh, jeez. I have and to now... end you again. <laughs> poor poor I was George hoping you would be... I was hoping... I, was, I thought about not saying it, but it was too good. Although this is going to be fun, sort of looking at these words and trying to figure out how on earth they relate to Latin. Yeah. Mm. I mean, some of them are fairly obvious and some of them are not. Yes. I don't know. I don't know much anything of Latin. I know Spanish very well and I can't find... Well, uh... Rapier, or however you pronounce that, to break, might be related to Spanish romper, which I don't know. Huh. That's interesting. I didn't know vulgar Latin had a word for transvestite. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Isn't there a basic word? Or Tokarian, for that matter. This is a very funny language. I like this. Uh, is that is that a basic leg? Is, is that a basic root for transvestite yeah. in there? No, I mean the words in here. I don't know. If they think it's basic. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Lithuania. He has a bunch of um, relevant uh, place names here too. What a monstrous vocabulary! Well, this is interesting. Uh, I, I I do wish that there were. A, a f- well, again, if the if the guy's saying I'm just doing this for fun, you shouldn't learn this language. Then it maybe it explains the lack of. Um, interlinears and explained examples, but there sure is a lot of examples here. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure if I should say this word, but uh, there is one word that I can clearly see the, the uh, that it came from Latin, because I know this the Spanish. At the end of the P's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Literally all that happened was one sound ended up being raised. Yeah, see, that's that's what's interesting about these, is you never know what's going to come out the other end. Some words, the their ancestry is perfectly clear, and others are transformed beyond yeah. recognition. Well, here's a safe example. Uh, clarity, or however you pronounce that, um, clear. Sure. Pretty, pretty clear where that came from, you know. Um, and probably some of these are things that he, like academia... I don't know if he, that's that's the actual what happened with the Latin root when it came into Benedict, or whether he actually went to the trouble of reborrowing Latin words for higher class things like a lot of real life Nat Langs did. Right, it's hard to tell. Um, yeah, but this is very very well done, except for lacking examples and any syntax. Right, yeah, except for the complete lack of syntax. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's an approachable example of the Bogolang and historical process for people who are interested in that. Yeah, he mentions dialects, but he doesn't give much detail, just like the, the ethnographic stuff on it. On him. But, um, but the Grand Master Plan is a good starting point for beginning historical conlangers, I think. Yeah, this, this looks like a really good... Um, I uh, one thing I always have wondered about, and re- probably the reason I haven't gotten around to doing any historical linguistics, uh, any diachronics work, is I'm always unsure of how many sound changes to put in per unit of time, per mm-hmm. century, per whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It's tough. Yeah. And um, this is a good example. I mean, the the 600 to 900 section has a huge array of Mm-hmm. Changes. I suppose it depends on a lot of varied various factors that you have to work into it. So, uh, and anyway, yeah, 
check out Venedic, and um, the link will be on the show notes as usual. And we're going to move on. We got this a little... We're going to move on to feedback, unless somebody has one last thing to say. Nope. No. Okay. We got... You know, I think... Um, Every time we do an episode, I mention the voicemail line. At, at I have the, the, the voicemail line mentioned at the end of the episode. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, we actually did get a response on that. <laughs> so, anyway, I have to... Let me switch over my uh, stuff so you guys can hear. And we are going to listen to our first voicemail. Maybe not all of it, but... It was actually a butt dial. So, anyway. (laughs) (sighs) Now, then, we're going to say... Let's... we, We got an email from... Let me get this guy's name. At least we can get his name. Matthew Park. And this is a very, very long email. So I'll just post it in the show notes. I'm not going to read all of it. But anyway, he said he, he... In two days, he listened to all our podcasts. So that's... That's that's, a lot of George, Bianca, and William to listen to, I think. Let's see. At the time, it would have been, what, 20, 23 episodes? Yeah. That's like 10 hours a day of listening to us. Almost 12 hours a day, actually. (laughs) So... I don't know. And here's here's the best part. Me and William both like this part. He said, while it may sound overly dramatic, listening to you all has convinced me to pursue a degree in linguistics. I have already scouted schools, by, and by next fall, I should be enrolled. I think for me this is a good life choice because I may be the only person in the world who has run a red light just to get home from work in order to finish a podcast on non-configurationality. Yay. <laughs> Officially, I want to encourage people not to run red lights. However, yes, <laughs> this if, is the sort of enthusiasm we appreciate. If you're here, if you're, Colin Langry, we do not condone speed offenses or any other traffic offense. Okay, if your commute <laughs> is giving you problems with, uh, if if your commute is actually affecting um, you your ability to listen to this podcast, my suggestion is to find a way to play it in the car. <laughs> like a, an a adapter thing for your for your iPod or iPhone or whatever. Whatever That's you listen true. to. That's true. I actually did an interview with someone who was driving home from work. <laughs> which was very disconcerting for me because I wanted to be like, man, put down your cell phone, call me in half an hour. Yeah. yeah. Like, Don't do that. That's not a good idea. You don't do either task very well. Anyway, um, he, um, he 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 says, "Please tell Bianca that I hereby swear never to use Xampa." Yay. So that's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, he has a bunch of questions here, which we just don't have time to hit all of them. Yeah, we may we may have to actually write responses to these, but um, we'll we'll post the whole thing. I'm um, halfway through writing a response to him. Because they are, like, involved questions. 
Yeah. Like, but, even just read, let alone answer. Yeah. One question that William highlighted that we might say is, he said, Do you indulge in a little egotism when creating your language, perhaps using your name or the names of people you like or dislike to create words, positive or negative? I don't really do that so much. I actually so. just remembered one that I did do. Mm. Um, one of my favorite soccer players, who's on the handsome side... I used his name for the word handsome. <laughs> well, a, a lot of people do do that, but um, I'm not a, a big one to do it. I can't really think of an example. I usually don't use names, though. I think I was giving you an example from a bit of slang I picked up from a soap opera that I used for the word for cat, which it'll usually be something more disconnected like that rather than a name. Sure. Yeah. The only thing I but, can remember doing is I incorporated the root mal into a word that at one time it meant like evil, but I'm not even sure what it means right now in, in my current revision of Ayurio, but it but, uh, well, there's malafiri, which is the dark spirits, but, you know. Yeah, I don't really do this. Um, I can't think of I mean, maybe once in my history I did this, but these days I, it just wouldn't occur to me to, to do that. Um, <coughs> the, I, we do know, however, that um, David Peterson, the inventor of Dothraki, has a bunch of words in the language um, which are based on the names of fans who have interacted with him over the years. Yeah, the I meant over uh, I over the sort of that, developing. Uh, I was going to ah, mention that he has actually got a blog post on that on his Dothraki blog. Yeah, so I actually have another one I remembered. A lot of so people I do do this. It's it's not wait, like wait, wait, wait. George. What? Bianca was going to give another example. Sorry. Sorry. It's you know if you watch Doctor Who, there's Gallifrey, and I use that word when it got fit into three vowels and such as the <laughs> word for time. Well, oh. <laughs> add a couple of different words for time, so you know you have like a time period, and this was for like the general idea of time in all of his existence. And that was it. Okay. Doctor. So I was happy with that. I never so, got to use it, but... Time in general. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah, a lot of people will do these little little things. Uh, some people do it more than others. I've seen posts on the boards about people putting names into their conlangs. So, you know, that that's up to you whether you want to do that or not. So There was uh, a guy a while back who tried to do my name. Yes, yeah. he, it was decided it meant curmudgeon. Yes, it works. Uh, Bianca. I think that's in uh, Delang, isn't it? <laughs> um, Copa de Sal's language. Anyway. I, I like doing it because it, even if it's not directly related, it, it kind of works in that way that you can remember your vocab better. Yeah, you can do that. Um, on the other hand, you know, if you do too much of it, um, I mean... The words are going to be changed anyway by your phonology. But, you know, I could see when you, if you do too much of it, people could just, like, start seeing nothing but the in-jokes. Unless, you know, it's really, really distorted. But anyway... Well, they'd have to know the way my mind works. That's true. Um, that may be unlikely. a greater challenge than strange grammars. But understanding the mind will never happen. At anyway... I think we can wrap up this episode. We've been talking for a while. To do. Yes. Um, so, yes. Bianca, do you have any final wisdom? 
Oh crap, I thought of one and I forgot. Because I thought I was listening to one of our earlier ones, the one on Esperanto where I wasn't here, and you said words of wisdom, and I was like, I'll think of wisdom, and I'll finally have wisdom today. But I forgot what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made a and comment then I died. on that episode. I did, because, well, I had things to say, so. <laughs> anyway, um, and, well then, William. No, no wisdom today. Okay, then that wraps up episode 30. Yay! Alright, and then, happy Conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Comments, questions, and suggestions can be sent to conlangery at gmail.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, and maybe leave us a five-star review while you're at it. You can also like us at facebook.com slash conlangery, follow us on Twitter at conlangery, or circle us on Google Plus by searching for Conlangery Podcast. Our theme music was created by the band Noel Device. 